You know what? So okay, let's start right now. This is going to be the, the, the cutoff point. Where it we're actually has gonna... begun. So Peter and I, were we, we warm up just by catching up with each other. And we're like, well, let's just start the stream. Someone wanders in. We can use this as an opportunity to make sure we aren't fucking this up. And sure enough, first time someone actually shows up, made sure we weren't screwing up the sound because Peter was, I could only hear him, apparently wasn't showing up in the stream. So welcome to V'ger, please, uh, mess hall number four. It has been a long time since we have done one of these kind of mid-season, let's uh, let's take a quick break and, and talk track, talk where we're at in Voyager, what our thoughts are right now. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, I just looked back and I saw the last time we did one of these was middle of season, uh, three back when we were doing it on YouTube. I know, look at all the weight I put on. My boobies look so good. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's got, everyone's got that COVID-15 now, bro. Come on. Everyone's got it. Like the only reason I don't have mine is that I had to officiate a wedding and I had to fit into my suit. And so the moment the gyms opened up back in Ohio, I was there like an hour and a half a day, every day for six weeks to drop it and i'm slowly putting it back on now of course because you know i'm done now i don't have to fit into my suit. i don't i think i've worn pants five times in the last six months if pants are on fun is not happening and that's a <laughs> that's a life truth you know also who's not having fun uh the characters in star trek voyager in season five we when we started the season i warned you like new showrunner Darker focus, you know, get a little DS9 chocolate in our coffee. We'll have to see how it turns out, right? Oh, mm. and, and uh, what do you think so far, man? Like, we're a little over halfway, you know? I think halfway technically would have been Dark Frontier. Um, is the new tone something you like? Do you like the older Voyager sort of? How can you not? You know, let's let's go through what we've seen up to this point. Uh, Galaxy Quest uh, was between two and three. Oh, uh, man, there's a lot of episodes in this thing. I gotta turn way, way back in the book. I'm sure everybody at home loves and I start leaping through this goddamn... I forgot we had to start a new binder. I'm... <laughs> I am... I'm still wondering what you're going to do with all of these notes when we're done. Like, where is this going to go? Married with them with I die. (laughs) All of my ideas and turns them into a great TV show. Uh, Night was frustrating, but it was good. Drone was stupid. Drone was fuck. Drone was so bad. I I wrote bad on the front and circle. (laughs) It was stupid with Niles Crane, the Borg's drone. Uh, was interesting, and I mean, it was nice to see them start touching on the fact that people should be pretty fucked up about some of the news they're getting out of the Delta Quadrant. Definitely. Agreed. Flesh was uh, that terrible Boothby episode. Oh, that's the one that had, uh, had Chakotay uh, fucks. Ellen Ty uh, wanting to fuck Chakotay. Yeah. Not bad. Solid. Um, once Upon a Time, I did not like. I, I, defend, I defended that. amazing. Super duper fucking amazing. Infinite Regress was what? Uh, that was the one where Seven of Nine gets multiple personalities. MPD, which was surprisingly okay. Yeah, it was Jerry Ryan turning on her acting for the world to see. It was well done on her part. She carried it. Nothing Human, that's the one where the Muppet is laying on... Uh... Oh, that's a Space Mangala one. That is correct. Dr. Cardassian Space Mangala. You know, we bitched about that one, but overall, I thought conceptually it was all right. Thirty days was the Tom's in the brig, Tomvict counterpoint. What was counterpoint? That was that one with the goofy oh, one yeah, where yeah. Janeway's got the romance with the space fascist. Yeah, latent image was dope. Bride of Chaotica was dope. Galaxy Quest. <laughs> was super dope. <laughs> yeah, hey, if you want to listen to uh, our Galaxy Quest review, and it's available to our patrons right now, you can just join for three dollars a month and listen to us talk for an hour about Galaxy Quest. It was actually a really good time. I see Doug is here. Said Space Mengel is one of my favorites. What was what really hooked you? Um, because 
I accused it of some retread, and it was a little predictable, and ultimately, um, you know, there were silly elements in that. Why would you possibly let Bolana die because of a hologram? Yeah, the invented nature of the conflict that they were having from a moral perspective was was my big hang-up. Like, why is this even a conversation? Like, who the fuck cares, right? There I know the right way to frame it. And there was, and, and I think... We, I think we, like, script doctored it in our episode, if I recall. Like, we found a way to do the story correctly. So, you know, there there was a right way to do it, and I, I felt like they were clumsy. said it was a bit predictable, but it was a kind of a classic Trek story. I will agree with that. It was a classic Trek story of a manufactured moral dilemma that splits the crew, and ultimately the captain has to make a choice. Uh, normally, I think in Star Trek, that results in the crew rallying behind the ultimate decision and by the end i think janeway still had a lot of dissent on the ship and she was a real bitch about like fuck you get over it i don't care what your wishes are which is of course lulzy as hell by the time that uh the doctor is falling apart episode which was what uh that was the uh late late image yeah late image so that was funny that one good turn deserved another but you know what I'm getting to? There's some really standout stuff, specifically not Dark Frontier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my uh, drone was a dud. Uh, I continue to have a problem with Counterpoint. I think Counterpoint is extremely overhyped. I don't know why people like that one. Uh, I think In the Flesh is good, aside from the fact that it makes Janeway's decision-making in the past seem completely batshit insane in retrospect, because, like, mm-hmm. you know, go back, dial it back to the season three season, season three finale, season four Scorpion episodes, and suddenly Species 8472, having been completely reasonable all along, just makes everything she's done so comically indefensible that uh make it any other alien race in the delta quadrant i think we would have had a a winner on our hands but what i'm getting to is there has been nothing there's been very little in season five that i would say was clearly bad and nothing that has really been detestable to the limits of like the 37s or elogium um prototype dreadnought time and again and we got a a mention of delta flyers in the chat window delta flyer just covered 37s they broke somewhere over an hour and three minutes which is very abnormal for delta flyers which generally sticks right around 38 to half an hour because a lot of their content's behind a paywall so they're pretty limiting but uh, if you're going to listen to an episode of the delta flyers do the 37s. There is so much real talk that they throw out there, like throwing people <laughs> under the bus. Oh, wow. You know, what assistant uh, directors they did and didn't like. The You know, just shitting mercilessly all over the episode. And it's funny, out of all the complaints, they, they don't ever address the fact that in the 37s, they talk about this wonderful, beautiful Earth, too, and how grand it was without showing you anything of it. But it's interesting to see uh, Robert Duncan McNeil. He's got a lot of complaints that, like, completely contrast our complaints. We frequently say, hey, why don't we really get any access to secondary cast, reoccurring minor characters, other plot lines for people who aren't main cast characters or cast members? Whereas McNeil's like... Why do we ever tell stories about anybody other than the main cast? There's no investment in these people. We should be focusing on our heroes. And, you know, I I seem to recall that by the end of 37s, I felt like there should have been a couple of token cast members, crew members, who stay behind on Earth, too, because it's just too good of a deal to pass up. And, like, you could have taken Howdy Doody, you know, Baxter, or someone else and left him behind. Or, or, uh, um, the Maquis guy whose wife got killed. Dolby. How Dolby. dare you? Yeah, How Dolby. dare you forget Dolby? How I, forget, I did. What, what, like, Dolby should be like, well, I, this seems great. I can find a new wife here. One that has never heard of Cardassians and certainly has not been, you know. Murdered by them. Murdered by them. <laughs> so, you know, I think they could have left some behind. I think it would have been really cool, especially as your season two opener to have brought 
some of the humans from the second earth colony along to replenish some of the people they lost. Um, and that we would say, Hey, we want more minor characters having a bigger role in the ongoing meta story of Voyager and um, Robbie to say, or I'm sorry, Robert Duncan McNeil to say, you know, we should have had more dialogue between the main characters about what they want to say it's like, you know, none of the main cast was going to stay there. There's right. no risk there. And jumping to uh, uh, course oblivion or saw five Voyager extreme <laughs> edition, as I like to call it. Stay tuned next week for that one, boys. Oh, that hasn't dropped yet. No, I'm oh, saying. Oh yeah. <laughs> that one's uh, still in our, our larder for next week lucky audience <laughs> <laughs> there, but, there, you know, there's, there's never any real consequences for the crew it's always going to go back to homeostasis so teasing like oh geez maybe tuvok would have stayed behind on the planet you know it's not gonna fucking happen but had it been again baxter doby uh wilder any it just some guy you just made up out of nowhere like they did in alliances or allegiances uh, oh, look at that. We got a Matt F. and Slayer up in the house. Hey, Matt. What's going on, man? It's good. Thanks Must for joining us. It's a slow day in L.A. <laughs> good to see you. Oh, by the way, if you hadn't had the chance, uh, uh, please listen to uh, Matt's podcast, uh, And Now We Drink. He just recently interviewed probably our favorite uh, porn star, <laughs> Xander Corvus, from, uh, who was... Who, played a starring role in more ways than one in the uh, Star Trek triple X porn uh, TNG porn parody that we reviewed and absolutely adored and specifically him um, along with uh, a whole bunch of uh, other great episodes that he's done. And uh, he also does a lot of Twitch uh, streaming himself. He actually is, I think you're playing Stellaris tonight and then you've got a, like a regular Stellaris game. You also have been, you've played some mortal Kombat. You've, Hell, I think you've even played Fortnite, so check it out. It's what a, good a crazy time. side effect of Corona COVID to really propel the blossoming esports and stay from home uh, grassroots content creation to the forefront. Absolutely, you know, there's no movies, there's no sports, and I think any of the big companies like Blizzard or whatever that haven't fully capitalized on it are really shooting themselves and that kind of ties in with like lower decks you can't get people together and do big hollywood productions right now you know and stuff like animation or things that could kind of be work from home created now's your time to shine you know i've been into cartoons my whole life i've never been shy about it i like a little bit of anime i like adult cartoons i like to laugh i like the serious stuff you can do with animation and i like the fantastic things you can do with animation that would cost a bajillion dollars if it was a, a real yeah. life production so bojack horseman possibly one of the greatest television shows made period on netflix he's an animated show you know like one of the deepest programs you'll ever see about the concept of depression you know like animated show mm-hmm. you know so there's a lot there's a lot of meat on the bone out there and for lower decks to miss and squander that opportunity like so you know that's one of our conversation topics and now maybe is the right time to get into lower decks lower decks in case you didn't know because that's what the viewership numbers are saying <laughs> is case- the latest production by the secret hideout alex kurtzman camp uh star trek showrunner that is set after the latest entry in berman era trek which would have been voyager what, what if pre- it was it's after nemesis so it's even it's after the the last point in the timeline that you could possibly point to so not merely after voyager but because nemesis happened after voyager obviously yes and was a major conversation point we had in preparation for picard but so this falls in that gap between sometime after nemesis and sometime before picard which is a good time to play because nothing you do there is ultimately really going to matter. You're not touching anything beloved. And we already know the terrible dystopian future that the Federation is going to reduce itself down to by then. Uh, So your question to me was who the hell is lower decks for? I don't know. Certainly. I don't think it's for children. Right. 
Um, you, I'm assuming, have not watched any episodes. I watched some clips just to get a feel feel for it, and uh, from the I guess four minutes worth of clips I watched, my presumption was it's too adult for kids and not smart enough for adults. It's like it it's it's the perfect garbage that a studio makes when they're trying to play it too safe to actually capitalize on anything. I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to try and cut them a break. I'm going to get off the Kurtzman hates train and, and try and find what the sweet spot on this is. And I think that it is a honest attempt to try to bring in a, the next generation of Star Trek fan to someone who is not willing to put a full 45 minutes uh, per episode over dozens of episodes per season to catch up on TNG and Voyager and DS9, let alone original series. Uh, and to have that light comedy, fun romp angle to get someone kind of their, their toe wet. Like it's legit Trek. They're doing legit Trek stuff and it's got this kind of slapsticky, obnoxious humor that's kind of in vogue right now. So I, I, I have to say, to honestly answer your question, I think Lower Decks is a starter pack for Star Trek. It's a, it's a starter pack for Trek Zoomers, if you will. Unlike us, uh, you know, OG Trek Boomers. And I wouldn't say that I necessarily hate it. I want to like it. There's stuff. There's enough stuff in there that I do like that when I go back and watch the third episode, I don't feel like I'm getting a meat tenderizer and putting my balls on the table and holding the hammer over my head, knowing I'm going to strike down and sterilize myself. Like I was doing by the end of a card and maybe it'll change with, you know, the last, couple it's, it's not there. something you, you love though. Like that's the difference that Picard felt that way because you and I are in that subset of people who adore Jean-Luc Picard as a character. Adored. Have, I have, Past tense. Love Patrick. Loved Patrick Stewart as an actor, and we had a, a, the idea in our heads that Patrick Stewart understood what character he played and what like that he like got what he was doing. When in essence, he was he's an actor, not a producer, not a writer, not a director, and therefore him actually like really understanding that wasn't wasn't actually true. Uh, and we suffered as a consequence of that. This is just some stuff, right? This is animated. It's just different characters. I it's mean, a it's thing still you stuff like. You love. I love yeah. Next Gen. I love Berman era. I would have never said I liked Berman era before, and I think that's why I was resistant to watching DS9 and Voyager while I was in high school. Was following generations, which I don't think I really uh, cared for as much as some of the later entries, but. The act of driving the Enterprise D into the ground when I knew, you know, there was write-ups in the technical manuals for the right way to do it. And that it was kind of a wave of the hand. Like, they just wanted to destroy the D. And at the time, I took that. And keep in mind, this is like mid-90s, right? Yeah. Like, there was no internet, so to speak. And aside from a convention conversation, which I wasn't having as a little kid. No, I mean, a high schooler. Right. Um. You know, it was just a lot of bullshit I was making up in my head. I figured that Berman had destroyed the D kind of like to really put Gene Roddenberry in the ground and establish this is my new Trek. I didn't know the Enterprise D was a pain in the ass to film. I didn't know all the production. Yeah, that looked aspects. bad on film, and that's why they had to dial the lights down in generation. That it, the model the TV itself set. was hard to manipulate for right. different camera angles. And when they built the E, a big consideration was that if this thing is going to be easy for us to frame. Uh, from a design element. And so Matt, by the way, so Matt brought up like that somehow the X-Men movies should have taught us that Patrick Stewart wasn't like, God, dude, did you watch Logan? <laughs> like that actually is what gave me the most hope was that his performance in Logan and sending off that character that way. I was like, well, shit, if he does like a Logan style job for Picard, I'm there for it. Right? Like, he, he managed through his performance in that movie to tell a really compelling end to the story of the movie version of Charles Xavier that was really cool. Um, so to me, X-Men is what 
lulled me into a false sense of security. Whatever. Three's not any... Three was Brent Ratner's fault. Fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) It was no one's fault but the studio. You know, just they fucked that movie into the dirt. And in the end, you know, Patrick Stewart did not have creative control. I don't believe he was an executive producer or any of that stuff. And at the end of the day, he was an actor in front of the camera listening to what a director was telling him. Yeah, James Mangold knew what he needed and Patrick Stewart gave it to him. And they produced, they spun gold and it was awesome. Uh, and when he had overwhelming control, you know, we got Picard. I, I don't want to go too deep in Picard and lose more yeah. listeners. <laughs> uh, All right. I loved Berman era and lower decks, I think still kind of fits somewhere in that Berman era as a conclusion at, you know, it's the first time since nemesis that we have seen operations at normal on a Federation starship because Picard was certainly the antithesis of that experience so yeah there's cool fun stuff going on there you just it's buried underneath super obnoxious characters and i think they need to decide kind of like the orville did do you at the end of the day want to tell a star trek story of some sort or do you want to have a slapstick comedy and orville i think uh seth mcfarland knew goddamn well that he wanted to tell a star trek story and he bamboozled fox into giving him right a star trek platform under the guise of uh family guy flashback poop and fart humor i i do love that in the end he may have been managed to produce three up three seasons of tng with by by bamboozling did you ever get around to watching the third season no no I, i finally finished the second season like i actually hadn't even watched that yet it's just really good I, I don't know else to just like. What was the season two finale? So the season one finale was the time interference thing. Season two was the war with Isaac's people. Yes, which was fucking amazing. Yeah, that was really. I mean, the show t- made a turn into being just the. In some ways, it's better than TNG. Because it's a little bit more self-aware and is obviously we've advanced 25 years in making television. Modern storytelling. Yeah, like we're just better at doing TV stories now. And because you're self a little bit self-aware about what you're doing, you can kind of lean into it a bit. Yes. And so when they actually make the turn in a lot of these episodes to like, okay, now we're going to be a real Trek story. It's it's some of the best stuff in that vein that I think has ever been made. Uh, the back to Voyager though. I don't want to get too far off. Course so season here. five so far. Going back to your initial conversation yeah. point, I would say that season five has across the board been a change for the better, and that's not to say we didn't get some really really great to excellent episodes out of uh, seasons one through four. Um, but I think the consistent quality has been increased in five. The continuity, for the most part, has been very present where the actions the crew is taking are following them along the voyage, the journey home. And we're not just hitting the reset button as as much drastically as we had been. Grand Bradaw certainly knows his way around Trek, and that's not to say he doesn't miss steps, but um, I think he is growing the the show in a way that follows along the spirit that Michael Pillar and Jerry Taylor had established, but is executing better on the premise. It's, it's taking risks that Jerry Taylor refused to take, you know, it's willing to allow bad things to happen to its characters and to leave uncomfortable questions in their wake. Yes. And I think that is, the powerful part about why season five, like my other question was, this is kind of when a lot of other Trek shows hit their stride as season five. When you look at DS9 and TNG, the best episodes are season four, season five, season six. And I would say even in DS9, the last season's also quite strong, not so much for TNG kind of fell apart a little bit. And it's the maturity of the people doing the show. They kind of know the show they're doing now. The actors are comfortable at that point. And they've established an identity. And, you know, I, I, I'm obviously uh, a big 
fan of Brian Fuller and that, you know, when he came in on season four and he's brought a kind of a different sensibility to writing and a lot of his episodes have have been among our favorites. That that helped a lot. But Jerry Taylor was consistently when she took over in season three, remember, she's that's like, I'm going to kill off um, uh, Lon Suter because I don't want to deal and I want to kill off Seska because I just don't want to deal with any of this other stuff that Michael, Michael Pillar did beforehand because she just didn't want to have those kinds of like awesome characters. She didn't want to take those storytelling risks of having to continue to have those those pieces in place. And, you know, uh, Brandon Braga is not timid about that at all. And it's been for the, for the betterment of the show. I agree. I will, I will say though, I, I, I just am not a fan of counterpoint. That is, I keep reading everybody's like counterpoints, a great episode counterpoints, the best Janeway episode. What an amazing episode. It's got all these takes that say it's the best. That's probably aside from drone, which is definitely the worst. Next is counterpoint to me. Like that just was I just a turd. I did not enjoy best, it, but it was it was okay to good. And I think you just need to admit that you know, I'm not saying your viewpoints are invalid, but you know <laughs> that you're wrong, and it's okay to be wrong. I want to talk about the female voice before we do. I want to jump back over to Delta Flyers. Part of this hour long extravaganza that they did on the 37s, right? Garrett Wong starts heavily discussing uh, conflicts he got into with uh, assistant uh, director. And then he kind of just spirals into like, you know, there's rumors about that. I was a, uh, had all these problems on set and that turned into bigger rumors that, you know, I was supposed to get fired, but they didn't fire me because I was on people's uh, 50 most beautiful people and that they fired Kess instead. And that wasn't, you know, there, there's all these crazy rumors and I'm going to address all that, which, got me like salivating like <laughs> ah, sure juicy drama pure mm. truth but just some actor to finally acknowledge and talk about uh jennifer lean's departure from the show and even if it's going to be whatever the official party line is like i still have never heard an official party line so bullshit or not i'm super excited to hear him talk about that drama when it will eventually come up later in season two but uh to the feminine voice we have given credit to voyager that it was pre-bechdel test and did it well correct and that sometimes the feminine voice would work well and a lot of other times it felt like the feminine voice came across poorly but the effort was always there which i thought was cool and do you think that brand branagh has extended that into season five so when we had the big conversations about the feminine voice, it was early on in the show. And I, I remember like one of the most effective examples was Balana and Janeway talking about Chakotay and why he keeps allowing himself to be manipulated by Seska. And it was the big episode where he goes off on his own little like personal crusade to deal with what he feels is like his, this is all his fault. This is all his problem. And we talked about like what this was a great scene because there is no way two male characters or a male and a female character could have had this conversation that allowed you to understand both what they're where they're coming from as well as their understanding of Chakotay. But the fact that there was two female characters, like it all made sense in a way in no other circumstance would it have. And I'm thinking back to episodes we've had in season five. And I have to say it, that's something that feels like it's fallen off is using it. And maybe it is because Jerry Taylor isn't there. Maybe it is because at this point they found a kind of different groove to be in. Cause like through season four, I guess like the biggest example of that was Janeway kind of being a surrogate parent to <coughs> pardon me, uh, to seven of nine, but that would be it. You know, like if you think back to episodes in season four, when Jerry Taylor was still on the show, like, what do we got? We've got Year of Hell. I mean, that doesn't relate have anything around those lines. Uh, Mortal Coil doesn't really have any of that. You know, like, you know, I'm looking at the the list here, right? Knight had Janeway dealing with her personal demons. Um, 
extreme risk was heavy interaction with Balana and uh, you know g- coming from this from a Bechtel, which you know is two female characters discussing a topic that's not a man on screen, right? Extreme risk handled it well. Uh, Once upon a time was not really in there. Timeless certainly not. Infinite regress. That was uh, the the multiple personality. Like I think they've still. They're not beating you over the head with it, but I think that the female characters in the show are getting strong entries. They're standing on their own two feet, and they've got stories that aren't like, oh, God, you know, I've got Chakotay's baby, or, geez, I hope Tom really does care about me after all. When I say the female voice has dropped off, it is that instead of being a a trope of storytelling that they're using either to their advantage or to their detriment, which was often the case in season one and season two, one way or the or the other. Instead, the characters just have a better identity of who they are, and so it isn't necessary to do that. Like we had the whole episode with, like you said, with Bolana with her secret racist Cardassian murder cave, and all of her PTSD and and risking her her life, you know, out of this kind of spiraling sense of depression, and none of that, and everything had to do with 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 Bolana's backstory, with what she'd been through, with what her feelings were. And like trying to cope with all of that, and none of it was a quota. It had a element of her identity that was related to her femininity in any way. That is what I'm saying. Like that element has fallen off in a large sense as a key part of the characters. I'll also recognize that Bolana specifically, a lot of her feminine voice has just been replaced with push-ups and showing that she looks badass in a tank top, and she does. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to actually just bring up Alana because uh, sh- her character is one that I recalled not liking very much. And she's grown on me a lot in terms of respecting the level of effort that Roxanne Dawson brought to her performances when she was called upon to carry an episode. We constantly talk about, like, all of the Bolana Torres episodes are Roxanne Dawson having to just, you know, go through a whole manner of bullshit, which is like, you know, I'm going to get beat up by a a murder hologram and have to deal with a crate, you know, another crazy AI episode. Uh, You know, I've got all this PTSD and I've got, you know, a secret cave where I murder Cardassians for fun. Uh, you know, and, and all of this while not having my own real eyebrows to face act it with. Right. Like I've got to relive memories of me being a Nazi and having a, a space Jewish boyfriend, you know, like every time they take her up to the, to, you know, it's, it's your turn at bat. Go. Uh, she does a fantastic job. We always talk about, man, she did a really good job. The episode might have had other faults. Writing might not have been there, but nothing about her performance ever lets us down. So that's been my, like, aside from Kess, which I think we agree was, like, where we thought we were going to hate Kess, and we're like, Kess was the best part of the first three seasons. Um, Balana's my biggest surprise of things I've, I've loved. This leads into a question I wanted to ask you. And, uh, you know, as I'm listening to Delta Flyers and they're recovering all this stuff through season one and starting into season two, even though the beginning of season two is still season one because 37s, which is one of my all time worst, was a season one recording. And I think it wasn't until like episode three or four they actually got into like a legit season two, two production. Yeah, script. Um, the early rendition of a lot of these characters is drastically different than what we're getting mid season five. If you had to pick one star Trek Voyager cast member, I'm sorry, not cast member crew member, right? So that the character, not the actor, but if you had to pick okay. one crew member, uh, you know, main crew that you had to spend a weekend with, who do you think it would be a weekend? So, Oh, okay. So, Spend a weekend with... Well, let's say uh, spend a weekend and then, you know, potentially spend a month. All right. And the idea here is, you know, who can I stand on a personality level that this is a person, this fictional person that I could deal with for that kind of time? Not even deal with, but just genuinely enjoy yourself. And I'll give you a minute to think about it. I'm going to give you yeah. my pick. Yeah, I need I need time. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead. You've Neil's. had... 
really neelix i think if you had to pick and, and my my second runner-up wow would probably I would be, be uh torres below I, I, I would choke that's filthy space cat that is definitely he's not, not that bad though man like and you he's at- not that bad but over a month dude i'm sorry i'm with tuvok on that one i, I just get the holodeck ready man get, get well, my choke I mean, that's hands. a luxury you have in the 24th centuries ah, you can occasionally choke up. a facsimile of somebody i mean a weekend i would say for sure would be neelix guy looks like he's loaded with great stories he's probably fun to get drunk around He's a jolly dude who's laughing. I mean, jump back over to the uh, the course oblivion. He's over there dropping tips that he knows about some crickets that make you want to fuck. Like, Neelix is a party dude. <laughs> I want to party with Neelix, and I think Neelix is pretty chill in the downtime. Caveat, I would not want Neelix preparing my meals when he's yeah, no gloves. touching the food, licking his fingers, and then touching the food some more. That shit's gross. I hope the replicators are working, or at least there's like some sealed packages of Pop Rocks and Twinkies I can eat so I'm not dealing with his granola root stew or whatever the fuck it is. Uh, But I think like even Torres, who's my second pick, just gets so cranky and so bitchy that like you're going to hit that point where like, man, I'm tired of you and I know you're going to be able to kick my ass in a fight and... And I don't like where that's going to take us. And I think all the other cast members, crew members, just have some fatal personality flaw that if it had to be me in a room with them for 48 hours or longer, would really make that rough. I, I, I'm going to go through process of elimination here to, to get to my pick. Uh, wouldn't uh, It would not be Neelix. Weekend would be one thing a month, I'm pretty sure. I would I would be with Tuvok on the on the choke train. Wouldn't be I Tuvok. also do want to say one thing else to Neelix. Neelix is a survivor, and uh, having someone who's kind of a jack of all trades. If you were in a Voyager esque, oops, my ca- captain stranded me in the middle of nowhere. Like good pick from like his, okay, his it, skill card from 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 uh, the collectible card game. Probably got a lot of skills on it. I'm gonna look that up. You keep going. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about a space hazard issue, my my choices might change because I would just take seven of nine. Like mm-hmm. that's my number one way to survive is just take seven of nine. It's not who I'd want to hang out with, but if we're talking about like friendability slash hangout potential. Uh, not Neelix, too annoying. Not seven of nine has the personality of a wet noodle. Would just get on my nerves. Same with Tuvok, right? Like the the. Tuvok is the least of all of them as far as objectionableness, but like seven of nine is just actively annoying sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it, it wouldn't be Balana just because the, the Klingon nature just means it's just going to eventually, there's going to be like all those nerves and I'm not into that. Uh, the, it wouldn't be Tom because he's too self pitying, like fucking rich boy, you know, also convicts, you know, lamenting that his life should have been perfect. Oh, fuck off. I can't deal with that. I don't want to hear about stories about being in the womb, so it can't be Harry Kim. Uh, so that that leaves me uh, with three options. And number one, I would hang out with Kess. Kess would just I, be, I wasn't even including Kess. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, like Kess would just, she would just be a, you know, good time, you know, hang out. She's warm personality. You know, she just wants to know about things, you know might microwave your brain but probably won't you know as long as you don't get into psychic staring contests with her like mm-hmm. I, I think you're safe uh my number looks t- great and sexy thigh high vampire boots but has to be a possessed warlord to wear them <laughs> <laughs> becomes a sexy vampire cat there's a lot of strings attached to kess at her peak moments <laughs> uh my second choice would be chakotay actually yeah uh, I, I can get on board with that he's yeah, my he's, third pick yeah, he's he's got you know he's got the sick vibrator uh, cult drugs <laughs> as we've previously established and, and his hand uh, jive is strong, you know, and uh, he will definitely punch a motherfucker, you know, like he's got that in him. And then third choice would be the doctor. I think the doctor. Let me specifically say post season three, like post future's end, matured person doctor uh, would be would be number three for me. Oh, not Janeway either, just because I I don't know which Janeway you're going to get. Are you going to get the Janeway who's cool, or are you going to get the Janeway who's an absolute idiot? Like, I don't know. 
Multiple personalities. Let's go pick a fight with the Borg. Uh, <laughs> no. Can we this not? This weekend hangout is fucking over. We're space, <laughs> space Pirate Janeway, I don't want to. No. Please no. Uh, for the record, I did look up Neelix's Decipher Star Trek CCG card. Civilian. And he's got uh, five skills. He's got Anthropology, Navigation, Diplomacy, Geology, and Engineer. Six Integrity, Seven Cunning, Five Strength. His cunning's that's, all right. That's okay integrity, which I think is, well, this is late season. This isn't dessert or him. And then yeah. he's got a bunch of throwaway trash skills, so on brand. <laughs> a bunch of useless skills. The Neelix story. Mm. Uh, the, the thing that uh, really bothered us the most about the disease, which was uh, an episode I think we did two back, uh, was that there is this insane idea that they put forward that there are now strict Starfleet regulations about fucking. First of all, I want to apologize to everybody listening at home that I somehow missed the obvious association and joke that Voyager, while docked with the generational ship, contracted STDs. Crabs, to be specific. The, the, the nanoprobe infestation that uh, 90s hottie girlfriend artificially created to sabotage a generational strip went along the phallic docking <laughs> clamp that was on Voyager and, and pe- just, penetrated Voyager's uh, you just know, got all up in its cervix hair and yeah. then, you know caused a bunch of micro fissure cracks stress cracks so I, I apologize that was ridiculous for me but I was just blinded by the baffling nature and do you see these people in the other Star Trek groups? <laughs> you were so our hard put, work. You so put out like, like I don't know if that. So there was a, a meme. It's impossible on, not on a shit posting group. Just... There was a meme on a shit posting group a couple days ago, and when we just put this episode out that long ago, where we like talked about how stupid this is in, the, in a universe with Will Riker in it, and then someone made a meme to that effect. Maybe they're a fan. Maybe we're not the first people to have this observation. I want I'm you sure. to think about that. <laughs> but we have to be the first people to watch this episode in the past two years. I mean, <laughs> like Voyager's really popular on Netflix. But uh, the the idea that there is this hardcore Starfleet regulation determining if you can have sex with an alien is just the least on-brand Trek thing that we've ever heard. And we talked at length in the episode about that. But what I want to do is discuss with you what would actually, like, what is a regulation that would be in place that makes sense? Like, we make, we make light of the idea that, like, Trek is a, a swinger's free love paradise. It's and, super and it's not, reasonable that you cannot just go out and fuck any new race, that there's going to be right. protein incompatibilities. I'm right. going to go ahead and invoke believe it or not, you know, hang on to your seats, mass effect here. Yeah. You know, there's major considerations like can Torians uh, hook up with humans. And there's like, I forget what the, what the no goes are, but there's people out there that there's a protein incompatibility and, you know, the ejaculate from one will cause serious problems with the other. And, you know, that's a concern for interspecies. If I recall correctly, It is Taurians and Quarians that have the protein incompatibility with the rest of the sapient species. Sure. So, you know, saying that, hey, there's there's rules out there. I don't. Did you watch a Star Wars Rebels at all? That was an animation um, that picks up pre New Hope. I did watch a few episodes but it was like some of just the really big ones like i definitely watched the one where like uh obi-wan fights darth maul like yeah. that might be like the coolest lightsaber fight ever done on yeah, for star wars dope. period and you know a lot of that those cartoons they have a problem where it's like two kitty episodes in a row and then like an adult episode and you, you cover some really good stuff in it but like one rebels shows that like these people are basically like for real terrorists just bombing and and killing and maiming and pillaging uh so uh, there's a there's this imperial protocol officer who you know he's such a mean terrible person he's being mean to the guy who's just trying to sell apples and it's like 
yeah, that's a two-dimensional way to present it, but in a big <laughs> intergalactic bureaucracy, like someone selling unsanctioned apples could cause COVID-19 or worse. Like these are things that you're going to have to address when you have an intergalactic community is that, you know, it's on par with you can't take mussels out of China and dump them in Lake Erie. Otherwise, you're going to have a population, you know, foreign invasion of, um, of uh, you know, invasive, invasive species, invasive species, right? So that's not fun stuff to talk about in a fantasy TV show about teleporting through space and fighting robot Nazis, but but it's real. So yeah, you can't just go around banging things, uh, people. The problem is there's hard line established genre that came before it that will Riker fucks everybody and james kirk fucks everybody at the drop of a hat and even you know troy and yar out there getting their rocks off too so and and in ds9 too like jedzia dax gets all kinds of alien strange like it it's it's a little weird to start bringing it in now at, at that point like i think a regulation that would make sense is if it's an a species that you just came in contact with first contact sure like if it's a federation species one would assume that there's probably a medically understood compatibility or lack of compatibility on a sexual level with other federation species because now you're all part of the same you know clubs intergalactic clubhouse so you know there's information now about you know if this is going to work out and if you end up in an intimate relationship with somebody so the I told, I totally buy there being regulation for like first contact situations. They didn't even need to go down that path, right? You had a funky situation where you have a very xenophobic race that does not want Voyager to be there at all. And of course, Voyager doesn't respect their wishes and forces themselves into the situation. And they even kind of touch on it. Janeway said, hey, we got strict rules on this. Don't wander off with these people. I'm trying to get something out of this deal, which is never really clearly established to make it worth sinking two weeks and, and all these resources into, but stay the fuck away from these people. They don't, they don't want us here to begin with. Let's not exacerbate the situation. And then Harry exacerbating the situation and yeah. getting a bad case of the glowy. Doing the exact I, thing that you don't want to do in that situation. Like so that's all, that's all it had to be about was like, Ensign, did you really have to get your dick in the middle of my diplomacy? And yes, 90s like, hottie was hot. Yes, he did have to. Uh, props to Harry. <laughs> for that. But didn't, uh, I forget who said it. On, it was uh, I forget who said it on the trauma support group. Somebody said like, of all the of all the people in the entire Star Trek galaxy, the only one who won't get that wop is Harry Kim. <laughs> I'll, I'll let Casey know that you invoked wop, which. <laughs> You should bring up why I'm like, I'm not. I don't understand why it's such a big deal right now, but I'll sure she'll be thrilled to know that you you brought that up. Um, Thank you. Thank you for passing. But you didn't have to drag this huge plot, this major inconsistency and this genre breaking revelation that no, you can't just bang an alien. Silly, (laughs) but you know, that's it. I don't know, man. Uh, and that's been one of the cool things, too, I'll say about Lower Deck, is because the ship specializes on second encounters, right, uh, there's a lot of things going wrong that you wouldn't think would be an issue, ranging from the first officer getting a mosquito bite, turning him into, like, a crazed zombie, to... I forget what the other plot points are, but it's legit stuff that you sit there and wonder, hmm, you know, how do they handle this? What if that? So they've got, again, a solid premise on their hand and a lot of really good kind of funny stories to explore with that that tertiary function of the show. It's just sad that it's hidden behind super obnoxious slapstick uh, Mary Sue nonsense. The the other kind of like Trek concept I wanted to hash out with you this. Well, hold on season. one second before we go too much deeper. Doug is here. Matt Slayer. Anybody else that's sitting out there in chat. Feel free to sh- throw out your picks for who you'd want to spend a weekend with off the Voyager cast. Yeah. And why? We have to know why. There has to be an Lewd comments about Seven of Nine will be disregarded because, yeah, obviously. Yeah, we're, we are, I, I assumed from the question uh, that the there would be no sexual element. Otherwise, it's too easy, you know? Yeah, so, Harry Kim all the way. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, boyish Asian face. It's just, that's my type. Um. The the other big Trek concept I wanted to hash out with you 
is the Prime Directive because I got into a whole fucking well, hold on. Uh, like, we, we discussion got, we got about our, this. Our submission here, and and I can't walk away from this. One. Holodeck Tom Paris is not regular Tom Paris. Holodeck Tom Paris <laughs> is super awesome. Assuming it's not moody, I'm building my car in the garage and neglecting my girlfriend, Tom. Um, super strong submission by Tom is here. Holodeck Tom, God, that's that's really the way you kind of have to look at a lot of these Star Trek Voyager cast members too. It's like like uh, mid '90s Batman action figures. Like I don't remember Batman ever having like sonar attack with green wings stapled on his back. Like that's not real. That's a bullshit. Just they wanted to make a new action figure, but that's. That's how a lot of these Star Trek characters are like holodeck Tom versus regular Tom versus pilot Tom versus undersea captain terrorist Tom. Is it the Tom Paris that's going to creep into your bedroom, (laughs) wake you up, wake you up by just creeping on you and then say, hey, will you come to my sex den with all of my with all of my porno tools that, you know, all of my sex toys? If it's that Tom Paris. Definitely yes. not. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I mean, who? Uh, <laughs> you know, who would hang out with that guy? Holodeck. By the way, see you, Matt. <laughs> Holodeck programmer Harry Kim. Yes, because he's got that volleyball team. Uh, Matt says the doctor he can give me pills. Super valid observation. <laughs> Matt using his brain out there having a good time doing and, uh, and future the, pills with the doctor. And the doctor and really and needs friends. Yeah, the doctor needs friends too. He needs people to hang out with. And Matt is, would be a way cooler friend than the had ever had. Uh, yes, I can get you high as balls. <laughs> we will find a way. I know the people. 